Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Um, just want to just get started, or before we get started, I want to announce uh, our church picnic. They wanted me to make sure that we really announce that. It's June the 30th. I know the communication's been going around, uh, 4.30 to 6.30. I know if you, if you came last year, uh, it's going to be amazing this year. We've, it's going to be more structured games. I think Josh is going to lead a message, and it's also just a good opportunity. There will be a lot of people out there. It could be a great outreach pro, you know, opportunity for us. So please put that on your calendar. Um, please plan on being there, and also tell others that are not here tonight. So uh, but that's June the 30th. 4.30 to 6.30. Um, so uh, some of you or all you that came to uh, thinking Pastor Matt was going to be here, I, I apologize. Uh, he, did, uh, he did want me to tell you that um, he's thinking about you, he's praying for you, um, and, uh, and he does miss you. And so, but he, uh, he asked me to do this, and when he did, I kind of felt like that minor league player, you know, that gets the call to the big times. So this is me. I'm here tonight. So, uh, so, but I'm excited. I'm very excited to be here tonight. It's, I told him it's an honor to be able to do this, to open up God's Word with you uh, tonight. So as we get started, I want to start off tonight with a few questions. You don't have to shout these. You don't have to say these things. Just something for you to think about as we get started or as we walk through the text tonight. Um, what do you think about when you think of the Word of God? I mean, what do you think about? Is, is it important to you? Uh, is, is it reflected in your, in your life? I mean, if it's important, is it something that do you, do you get into it? Do you study it? Do you read it? Do you know it? Do you memorize it? What does the Word of God to you, what does it mean to you? On October the 6th, 1536, I don't know if you have the Joseph. William Tyndale, you may have heard that man's name. I know Pastor Mack, I think, probably mentioned him. But he was burned, he was strangled, he was burned at the stake because he translated the, the Bible into the English language. He, he was so passionate that, that he knew the importance of people like you and me to really be able to open up God's Word and to know it, to read it, to study it. And this became his mission. He, it was his passion. It was his drive. And, of course, he goes to the officials to get permission to do this. And, of course, they deny him. They tell him that uh, they don't want people like you and me to read the Bible. They just want them to be able to tell them what they want them to know, what they should believe. But that didn't stop Tyndale. He continued with his mission. And because of that, he was highly persecuted. He was, he was on the run constantly, and ultimately he would lose his life for his mission. And when you think about William Tyndale you, and what he did, he gave his own life for the Word of God. Why? Why would he do that? Well, that's what we're going to look at tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. As you're making your way there, I'm going to give you a little background about what's going on in here in Nehemiah chapter 8. If you go back deeper into the Old Testament, if you remember when God brought, uh, when he was bringing Israel out of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land, he told them, that if they, if they loved him, if they obeyed him, that he would bring them blessings. He would keep the enemies away from them. He would keep them in the land. But if they disobeyed him, if they did not live the way he wanted to, if they did not put him first, he would bring them cursings. He would bring enemies into the land, and he would drive them out of the land. 
Fast forward, and we go through the reign of David. We go the reign of Solomon. And remember, the kingdoms split. You had a northern kingdom. You had a southern kingdom. Both kingdoms had many different kings. Some were better than others, but ultimately they both fell into idolatry. They did exactly what God told them not to do. And, of course, God did exactly what he told them he would do. We would see the Assyrian kingdom. They would go into exile, be destroyed by the, the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. And they never would return into the land. And then later, the southern kingdom would be destroyed. It would be taken into exile by Babylon. Now, here's the thing about the southern kingdom. Even though they had rebelled against God and that punishment was going into exile, even though they had done that, God still showed them love and mercy. And he promised them that after 70 years, he would bring them back into the land. And that's where we're at in the book of Nehemiah. It's the 70 years they are starting to get back into the land. If you know the book, when the very beginning of Nehemiah, he hears that the city is destroyed. The gates are down. And he gets permission and he goes to Jerusalem and he starts this plan of rebuilding the temple. And that's where we get into chapter 8. The city has been rebuilt and they're going to gather the people and they're going to bring Ezra, the scribe, the priest, and he's going to open up the book of law. He's going to read the word of God to them. As we look at this passage, these verses tonight, we're going to look at two truths. Two truths about the Word of God. Here's the first one. We desperately need the Word of God. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to know it. Look at verses 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read it from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of law. Now, I want to f- call out a few things here. First one is, it's the, it's the seventh month. It's the Jewish New Year, the Feast of Trumpets. And so you think about it, I mean, it's pretty much a new day for them. I mean, they're, they're back into the land. They get a fresh start. They're, it's new to them. And look at what they're doing. They're starting a new day, a new year, a new life in the Word of God. The second thing we see is it says that they read the scrolls from early morning until midday. Now, that's about six hours that they read. And you think about this. What if, what if we were to tell you that we're all going to come back here tomorrow or next week or whenever we're going to do it, and we're just going to read the Word of God for six hours nonstop? Now, some of us would probably be excited about that. Man, we, we, we would love to be able to do that. But if some of us in here were honest, we ain't coming that day. Right? We're going to take that family trip. We're going to take that family vacation. We're going to call it a sick day. But we ain't coming to read the Bible for six hours. Now, you think about this. In churches today, it's, it's hard to get people to sit down and listen to the Word of God for 30 to 40 minutes. This was six hours. But here's the notice this. It says the people were attentive which means they were paying attention. They were hanging on the edge of their seat as Ezra was reading the scribe. I mean, think about it in church. You can be here, but not be here. That is not what we're seeing in this passage. I I imagine when I read this passage, I imagine like watching a movie or anything where you're kind of on the edge of your seat because it's very intense and you're waiting to see what happens. 
That's what I picture here is these people, they're sitting there and they're kind of pretty much on the edge of their seat waiting, anticipating what Ezra is going to say next. I heard David Platt, he was doing, uh, he was talking about a trip when he went to Southeast Asia and he was in an underground church and he's reading scripture for hours. And these men that show up, he said for hours, all he saw was the top of their head as they were writing every word he was saying. For hours they did that. These people, he was saying, they had a hunger for the word of God. And that's what we see in this passage here. These people had a hunger for the word of God. Do we? Do we have this type of hunger for the word of God? And the third thing it just says there in verses 7 and 8, it says that the people, had the, they, were, they took time to explain and help the people understand Scripture. Look at verse 7 and 8. Also, Jisha, Bani, Sherebiah, Jeman, Echab, Shebatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kenita, Ezariah, Jezebad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites. I was so glad Pastor Matt was not here tonight as I read those names. And I'm probably, if he's listening at all, I apologize. Uh, I've been practicing those names. But the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, as I was reading commentaries, there's a lot of different things going on uh, that they say. One is, is it says that the Hebrew language may have been updated since it originally was, was written. Some scholars say that it was them translating it from Hebrew to Aramaic. If you remember, they were in the land for 70 years. Think about how many people lived and died. This was almost a new generation for the Jews when they came back into the land. And what language did they speak in Babylon? Aramaic. So some people, they were, they were translating that language. Some scholars say it just meant that, that these names of people, they were going around in smaller groups and they were explaining and answering questions discussing the Word of God. But here's the point. The point is the people took time to sit down with the people to explain the Word of God. What about if he just, Ezra just got up there and read and walked away and they didn't know what he was saying? And it was just noise to them. Would it have done any good? Notice he explained. They explained it to the people. I've been to Cuba a couple of times, and every time you go there, you have to preach. So if you want to go there, go ahead and get your sermons ready because they're going to make you preach. Um, David knows. Jeff knows. Uh, so my very first time I went, it was one of the last nights I was there preaching. And I get up there, and I'm up there, and I'm just getting after it. I mean, I'm just, I'm going through my notes, I'm going through the scripture, and I'm just having a good time. And I look out of the corner of my eye, and I see the translator doing this. Yeah, I totally forgot about the translator. Totally forgot about the translator. Which point is, they didn't understand a word I was saying. They just hear me up there babbling. But they didn't hear a word, but that's the point is, what if I would have just walked away, and all they did was just hear this, this, this white man just bumbled a bunch of words and left? They wouldn't have understood what good would it have done. And that's the same thing. We have to make sure that we're getting around other in each other and explaining the Word of God, wrestling with the text with each other. I heard someone say this, that every Christian needs a Timothy in their life, someone they invest in, someone they pour and invest their life in. They also need a Paul in their life, someone who isn't investing in them, but the point is they are investing in each other. In seminary, I'm going through church history, too, this summer, and we're learning about uh, the Zwingli and the Anabaptist. 
And I know Pastor Mac has talked a little bit about that, but we're studying that history. And if you know anything about Zwingli, he radically changed Zurich. And here's how he did it. He gathered the people in small groups and home groups, and he explained, and they studied, and they taught people the Word of God. And it radically changed that place. That's what we have to do. We have to get in and invest in each other and study and learn and teach Scripture. If we really want to see radically change in this church that ultimately leads to radically change in this community, it's got to start with the Word of God. It's got to start with the Word of God. So think about this, life group leaders. Some of you are in here. Are you really investing and really seeing that people in your group know how to study Scripture? that they know what you're talking about? Are we intentionally going around the church, meeting new people, and making sure they're connected into a life group? Make sure they're connected into a D group, but they're in a group and they're studying Scripture. Are we investing in people in our lives, our work, our community? Are we opening up the God's Word with them and explaining again, if we want to see radical change, we got to get into the Word. We all need this Word. We need to study it. We need to know it. We need to memorize it. We need the Word of God. Why do we need it? Three reasons. Scripture reveals who God is to us. John Calvin says this, The Bible is like eyeglasses that allows us to see God. And without the spectacles of Scripture, we are like a person with blurry vision and unable to see God. The Bible reveals who God is and that He loves us and He wants to have a relationship with us. Scripture reveals how we are to live. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, uh, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? In Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Here's the thing about the word of God. It's a guide for us. I mean, you've probably heard someone say this to you, I don't need the Word of God because all the Word of God is is a bunch of rules. It tells me things that I can and I can't do. Well, here's the thing. Yes, the Bible does have rules. It does tell us things to do and not to do. But here's the thing we have to understand. God, who created us, He wants what's best for us. I mean, don't you think that whoever created something knows what's best? I mean, at my house, if I have a plumbing problem, I don't call the guy who cuts grass. I don't call the guy who puts the roofs on your houses. I call the plumber. Why? Because the plumber knows these things. He builds these things. He knows when these things work and when they're not working. It's the same thing with the Word of God. When he, when he tells us to do something, it's for our best. When He tells us not to do something, it's for our best. I mean, you think about a parent. I mean, you probably all know our kid. Um, he runs right here every Sunday. We tell him things to do and not to do, not because we're trying to dominate him. We do it because we love him, and we want what's best for him. So when we tell him to do things, it's for his best. And that's the same thing with God. Just think about the world, and especially this country today. We are running so fast away from the Word of God, and I am scared for this country because of it. We have to get into the Word of God. It's a guide for us. It also reveals to us that we can have hope in God's promises. Think about this. When Adam and Eve sinned and they, they rebelled against God, they brought sin into the world, God tells them, he promises them that one day he would send a redeemer. 
And we see all throughout the Old Testament God unveiling his plan, keeping his promise, reminding them that he is going to send this Redeemer. We get into the New Testament, what happens? The Redeemer comes, Jesus. Just as God promised, Jesus comes. Now, Jesus starts his ministry, and what does he do? He tells them exactly what he's going to do. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross, but I will raise from the dead. And that's exactly what he did. But here's the other thing that Jesus tells us. One day he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to gather his people, and we will be with him in his kingdom forever. And here's the thing. If God promised us Jesus, and he came, And Jesus promised us that he was going to die on the cross and raise from the dead, and he did. Then we can be sure and confident that he will one day come back. Why? Because it's written in his word. We can have confidence in his word. We all need the word of God. Tyndale C. knew the importance of reading and studying in the word of God. And that's why he gave his life so that people like you and I, we can open up God's word and read it. We not only need the Word of God, here's point number two, we need its power. We need the power of the Word of God. Look at verses four through six. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wadden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Methiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah in his right hand, and Padiah, Meshah, Mechajah, Hasham, Hashbana, Zechariah, and Meshalem was left hand. And Ezra opened the book of the sight of all the people, for he was blessed the Lord, or above all, blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now skip down to verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now, I want you to see the power of the word of God. Three things that happened. The first one we'll look at is the people wept. It said when Ezra was reading the scroll, the people wept. Now you think about them. They uh, were in exile for 70 years because of what they did. They had rebelled against God and it was because of this is why they were in the land. But even though they had rebelled against God, God loved them and he showed them mercy and grace And he promised them and he brought them back into the land. He gave them a new life. He brought them out of the slavery of Babylon and brought them into freedom, into a new life. And when they were reading the scripture, you can imagine they're they're seeing this, this God and what he has done for them and what they had done. And they wept. I mean, think about this when you read scripture and you see what God has done for you, that he loves you. And what you did, what we've done, we've rebelled against him. We've ran from him. We want nothing to do with him. But he loves us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. You see, we see the love of God in Scripture. And what do we do? We weep. We're convicted. The second thing it says, they raised their hands, they bowed their heads, and they worshiped. They worshiped. 
as they were reading the scroll and they're seeing the goodness of God, God had brought them out of slavery into freedom, gave them a new life when they didn't deserve it, and they worshiped. When we think about the gospel and what God has done for us, don't we worship? That's what the word of God does. It causes us to worship. And the last thing it says, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. One, Psalm 119, 62 says this, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Now, what is spoil? Spoil, if you know, is like when, uh, when a group or army or whatever would go in and they would destroy a, a village or a town and then they would pumble through anything that was raining looking for treasure. And when they would find this is what it would call a spoil. So what is the psalmist is saying? He rejoices like he, at the word like he found great treasure. When we discover the word of God, it's like finding treasure. When I was little, I used to collect baseball cards. And uh, if you know that, if you collected them, you know what I'm talking about. You could go and buy a pack of cards. Now, you didn't know what was in the cards, but you knew what could be in there. And so you'd buy the pack, you'd go home, and you'd rip it open, and you'd just start as fast as you could going through the cards. And here's the thing. When you found your favorite rookie card or your favorite player or your favorite team, or maybe it was a valuable card, whatever, whatever card it was, when you found that card, you rejoiced. You found that treasure and you rejoiced. It's the same thing with the Word of God. Here's the other thing, though. When you rejoice, when you discover this treasure, you don't hold on to it yourself. You go tell others. You, you call people. Hey, man, you got to come see what I found here. I mean, think about this. When I opened up that pack and I found that 1980 Ricky, Henner, Ricky Henderson rookie card, who was my favorite player and it was worth a lot of money, I didn't keep that to myself. I'd call all my friends. Hey, hey, come here. you got to come see this card that I got. I'd bring them over and show it to them. That's the same thing when we discover the Word of God and what He has done for us through Jesus. When we discover the gospel, we don't hold on to it. We call other people. We tell other people the good treasure that we found. Spurgeon says this, When you understand what Jesus has done for you, you will not be able to keep it to yourself. This is the power of the Word. It's the Word that changes us. It's the Spirit who works through the Word who changes our lives. If you want to radically change your life, get into the Word. If you do not get into the Word, you will never change. One of my favorite, um, I wouldn't say one of my favorite, but a pastor I read a lot is Robbie Gallaty, and he says this, We get into the Word until the Word gets into us. We get into the Word until the Word gets into us. The Word of God is powerful for salvation. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And then in verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. The Bible is very clear that without the reading and, just, and proclaiming the word of God, salvation will not happen. It's what the Bible tells us. It's the word of God that saves. It's the spirit works the word who saves us. Think about this. The word of God tells us everything that we need to know about the gospel. It tells us who God is, what, who God, what God has done for us. It tells us about us, that we have sinned against God. We have rebelled. We want nothing to do with God. We're separated from God, but it also tells us what he's done for us. Even though we had rebelled and sinned against him, he loves us. 
And he sent his son Jesus who came, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead so that we can have new life, so that we can be reconciled back to God. But here's the other thing it tells us, how we can embrace this through faith and repentance. Through our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and our repentance, our turning away from our wickedness and turning to God. The power in the word for salvation. I heard a missionary tell this story. This is a true story now. This missionary said that he was somewhere, he didn't say where, and he's given out Bibles. And this guy walks up and says, hey, are you giving out Bibles? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, do you want one? And he said, well, you know, he said, I really like the paper in the Bible because you can roll it up and smoke it. Um, So this missionary said, okay, I didn't know that. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll give you this Bible so that you can take it and you can use it as a cigarette, whatever you want to smoke with it. And he said, but you got to promise me one thing. He said, before you read it or before you, you smoke it, you have to read it. You have to read, read, read the page and roll it up and do what you want to do with it. And he said, oh, okay. So he took the Bible and he ran into that guy a, a little bit later, months or whatever it was. And he just said, hey, you know, how is that going for you? Did, or, you, know, did, you, do, did you keep your promise? And the, and the guy said, yeah, I did. He said, well, how's that going for you? He said, well, here's the thing. He said, I smoked my way through Matthew and I smoked my way through Mark and Luke. And he goes, and I got about John 12 and now I'm a Christian. It's the power of the word. I met a guy a couple weeks ago at that crossover event, and we had lunch today. And I mean, he's a Christian. He gave me his testimony today. But here's what he told me that was fascinating. He said the reason why he became a Christian was because he spent about 10 years of his life in Scripture trying to deny the faith, that it didn't exist, that it was, that nothing in this Word was believable. And because of his 10 years of studying in the Word, he became a Christian. It's powerful for salvation. The Word of God is powerful for sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, as being, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Me and Dawn, um, we, uh, you know, six or seven years ago, maybe even longer than that, we, um, we were just coming. We were, we were coming here. We were members. But all we were doing was showing up on Sundays and going home. That's really, we weren't studying. I mean, every year we were like, hey, we're, this year is going to be the year that we're going to get into the Word of God. We're going to read, we're going to read the Bible in one year. Like, that's going to happen. And every year for about two or three years, uh, we would get to what most people do. We'd get to Leviticus or something, and then we'd quit. And we did that for two or three years. Well, finally, one year, we just said, we're tired. We're going to do it. We're, we're going to do it this year. And we actually did it. We actually read through Scripture. And let me just tell you, uh, and I could just sit here for days telling you from that moment to now, but since that moment, God used that moment to radically change my life. The reason why I am up here tonight, the reason why that I'm in ministry today, the reason why Dawn, I mean, the, the couple, the people you see right here was not us six or seven years ago. And why? Because of the Word of God. I'm a firm believer that the reason why we changed, the only reason why it was changed is through the Word of God. It's powerful for sanctification. The Word of God will change your life. But here's the question. Have you been changed? Have you experienced its power? That's the question you have to ask. Well, maybe you're here tonight and you are asking, man, this is all great, but what do I do? I'm glad you asked that question. 
two applications. I'm going to give you two challenges tonight. If you're doing these things, then praise God. But if you're not, I want you to really think about this. The first one is study the Word. Read the Word. Study the Word. Know the Word. I mean, if you are doing nothing, like, I mean, seriously, if you have to knock the dust off your Bible before you open it, or if you've got a 10 or 15-year-old Bible, but it still feels new, um, here's the thing. Just read. Start off reading 15 minutes. Just commit 15 minutes a day to open up and read and study God's Word. Now, let me tell you this. I promise you this. I'm going to warn you on this now. If you do that and you're faithful in that, it will change your life. And that 15 minutes will turn into 30, into 45, and who knows how long it'll turn into. But that's how powerful the Word of God. I heard a pastor say this, when you read the Word of God, you don't read it like a book, you read it like a date. That's so true. It's a relationship. I mean, think, think about you in here that are married uh, or just friendship. How do you build relationships with people? By spending time with them. You spend time with people, and guess what? You learn about them. You learn what they like, what they don't like. And you start to get closer to them. And the more you spend time with them, the more you love them, and your relationship deepens. It's the same thing with the Word of God. The more time you spend into the Word, the closer you get to God, you learn about God, you learn what He likes, you learn what He don't like, and every day your relationship gets stronger. According to, I want to give you this statistic, and I'll tell you where I'm going with it. According to Wycliffe Bible Translator Project, there are an estimated 250 million people without access to any scripture in their language. Think about that, millions of people. Dawn and I had a chance on a mission trip to go to the Museum of the Bible. Uh, maybe you've been there before. If you're not, I would, it's really fascinating. But you go in this one room, and there's three shelves, big shelves, and one of them, it's a, it's a shelf, it's a bunch of languages, and it's a bunch of Bibles. And that shelf, it'll tell you, is for Bibles where all, where are the languages where there is a complete Bible. Then you move to the next shelf, and there's a list of more, there's a list of different languages, and there's still some Bibles. Not as many Bibles, but there's a handful of Bibles. And it says that these are the languages that there's a partial. Could be New Testament, whatever it may be, but it's a partial, not the full Bible, it's a partial Bible. And then you come over to this one, and it's a bunch of languages with no Bibles. Why? Because there is no Bible in that translation. Now, now why do I tell you this tonight? One is it should break our hearts. It should really drive us to pray that the Word of God will get into the hands of all people because of what we're learning about it tonight. It is powerful, and people need to get into it, experience that power. So it should break our hearts, but it also should convict us. I mean, sadly, unfortunately, these people, they can't read the Word of God. But what is our excuse? What is our excuse? Again, maybe you're here tonight and you're reading the Word of God, and, and that's awesome, and praise God for that. But maybe you're not. What is your excuse? You need to get into the Word of God. The second thing, here's the second challenge. Memorize God's Word. Memorize God's Word. Just memorize one verse a week. Now, let me tell you this, Jesus wept. I gave you one right there. You can memorize that before you get out of here tonight. One verse a week, and let me tell you this, I'm not going to stand up here and say that you have to be a Christian to memorize Scripture, or if you memorize Scripture, you're a Christian, or if you're not, I'm not saying that. But I will tell you this, that I do believe that Scripture does talk a lot 
about memorization. It talks a lot about putting the Word of God on your heart. Now, and I don't think it means walking around like this. Like, can you imagine if we walked around church like this? Word of God's on my heart. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about memorizing, putting it on your heart. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's, it will save you, that, it, it, you know, that you're saved if you do it or if you don't, you're not. But let me just tell you this, and I know this from, for a fact. I know this, I truly believe this, that if you study and memorize God's Word, God can do some amazing things through it. Let me give you some examples. One is, I was at home on a Saturday, and Dawn and Connor were gone, and I had, it was college football Saturday. I got out and did all the yard work, got everything done, got done, games were about to start, and I sit down, and I hear this. And I'm like, oh, I don't know who that is. So I go, and sure enough, I can tell who it is through the window, it's Jehovah Witness. And I'm like, man, you know. But for some reason, I opened the door. I, I just, God just spurred in my heart, and I opened up the door. And we literally sit there, and we talk for about an hour. They told me things. I told them things. But here's the thing. I sit there on the couch while they had all their stuff out, iPads and everything, and I was just throwing out Scripture. I wasn't doing it in a confrontational way. I was just saying, oh, that's amazing. What about, this is what John says, or this is what the Bible says, or this verse and this verse. And I was just throwing these verses out. And I never had to get up. I never had to open up the Word of God. I mean, finally, after about an hour of that, I think they finally said, well, we, we got to leave. We'll be back. Um, but my point is, is that when they left, I was just like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Why? Because I didn't know where these verses had come from. God was just throwing them out of me. But it was because I had spent time learning and memorizing God's Word. God can do some amazing things through your life if you have His Word on your heart. Let me give you another example. A man comes to me and tells me that he's got a history of, uh, of cancer, and he's going through some tests, and he's nervous about these tests. Uh, and he gets to the, to the exam, and he's going through the test, and, and he just can't find anything to give him peace. He's very fearful, com- you know, not comfortable that day. And all of a sudden, he just starts quoting Scripture, quoting Scripture, quoting Scripture that he had memorized. And he told me that that peace and comfort that he got from memorizing those verses was the most peace that anything in this world could have ever given him. That is what God can do in your life if you put his word on your heart. I truly believe that. I really do challenge you to memorize scripture. One verse a week. And I gave you your first one, Jesus wept. We all need the word of God. We need its power. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The word of God is powerful for salvation. Maybe you're here tonight and you are a Christian, but your relationship is, is just kind of gone stale with God. Or maybe you've fallen away from God. Or maybe you're just going through some things in your life. The Word of God is powerful for sanctification. It is powerful, but you got to get into the Word. I want to close with this. I asked you an earlier question in the very beginning about William Tyndale. And I said, what caused him to do what he did? What caused him to give his life for his mission, which was to translate the Bible in the English language. And here is the answer. See, Tyndale knew the importance of the Word of God. He knew the importance for us to be able to open it, to study it, but he also knew its power. 
power that can radically change your life. And so his passion, his devotion was to do whatever he had to do to get the Bible in the hands of people like you and me. And it was worth his own life. That was his power or that was his passion. That was his drive. That was his hunger. And my prayer, my prayer for us as a church, for each one of you, is that we have that same hunger, that same passion for the Word of God, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of each other. Let's pray.